Hey everybody, and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. I'm your host, Austin Pedersen, sitting here with my co-host, Josh Adams. Uh, we're going to sit here today and, and talk a little bit about uh, you know, what first responder wellness looks like, uh, how we're moving forward over the last few years. But uh, first off, I want to introduce Josh and, and kind of hear a little bit of your backstory and, and, you know, where you started in law enforcement, uh, kind of how you got to where you are today, and then maybe some things that you're uh, instilling in your department that are, are pretty revolutionary. Very good. Again, name's Josh. I am 45 years old. I have four uh, amazing daughters that are 20-year-old 20, 20 twins, a 16 and a 14, and they keep me happily busy and like to spend lots of my money. Happily, which is, happily busy or happily stressed, right? You no, know, probably happily busy more than happily stressed. I'm pretty lucky that way. They're, they're squared away. Um, you know, they've got good life goals and, and, and ambitions and they don't chase boys too hard. And the things that I, I always dreaded it when they were young, they've actually, they're doing better than, than I expected. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I've been in law enforcement for, let's see, 23 years now. Um, I started, uh, I spent about my first year as, as kind of a part in a part-time reserve uh, status because back then uh, getting into law enforcement was super competitive and we uh, you were almost involved in, in an internship if you will we'll call the reserve officer where they kind of got to see how you were and see how you mixed in with people and and handled things before they offered you a real job and most of that was usually free so you'd work you know one or two shifts a week for free basically so that they would maybe someday give you a paid job what what year was that so we're talking 1999 because i mean today i mean i was talking to a friend of mine at a you know st paul and they said i think they used to average maybe 500 applicants for like 20 jobs and yeah. they just this year they averaged 20 applicants for 40 jobs yeah that sounds pretty true and that that's a good conversation for us to have too is is kind of what's happening with um the job market overall and how that's directly impacting uh, the first responder space and how drastically it's impacting policing in particular is is quite a, a, a moment that we're in right now. Uh, I, uh, but yeah, I had a, I, I started working in, uh, here in Utah in 2000, full-time in 2000, and I was just a regular beat cop patrolman, um, working weekend graves, uh, just as happy as I could be, uh, newly married, um, thought I had the world by, by, by the back of the neck and, uh, you know, enjoying that era in, in my career where it's like, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. This is a, this is a racket. This is fun. Everything's good. And then uh, through my career, I moved through uh, as a canine handler for about five years. I uh, really enjoyed that opportunity. Uh, I left that to go be part of an anti-cartel uh, drug task force uh, for about two years. And, in Utah? In Utah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and then from there moved to transfer. I got promoted, actually, and became a, uh, you know, a road sergeant frontline supervisor did that for uh, a little bit and really really enjoyed it it was probably what i look at is probably um the part of my career i learned the most in the, the glory days well the glory day you know the glory days for me would have been back when you know new and not having a care in the world and stuff but being back on the street and having a you know a group of you know eight people in in a crew and being uh, not just responsible for myself now, but responsible for them on 
not just on an accountability responsibility level, but feeling that, you know, I want them to succeed and, and caring about them and them bringing their, uh, professional and private problems to work or to me and, and, and trying to just lead that little group, um, along with, uh, the different personalities and so forth. That was a, that was a lot of growth for me there. Um, yeah, now it's a hundred and something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's a whole different, different ball game where yeah. it's, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of, uh, it's sad that I, it, it, how hard it is to try and keep track of people and their stuff and everything like that, where it's like, I want to know how they're doing. I want to, I want to be more involved in stuff, but, it, but at the end of the day, it's just like, man, I don't have the bandwidth to, to keep track of that many people and their, and their everything all the time. Their personal um, lives, yeah. their marriages, their kids. Yeah. Their, yeah. You know, and, and who's getting married and who's getting divorced and who's having kids and who's yeah. happy and who's sad and, and stuff. And, and, and that's one of the things I'm really trying to work beyond is, is being able to understand those things or be made aware of those things to be able to have a better impact versus, you know, Hey, here's the, here's the top 10 bad situations going on right now versus, Hey, I want to know, I'd rather know that there's not a, a top 10 bad situations, but here's, here's 10, 12, even 20, uh, warm situations that we need to, uh, let's address them before they turn into a, a hot mess. So, um, but those were good experiences for me. I, from there I transitioned to, I was a special victims detective for a number of years. I did, uh, child sex abuse, child homicide. I did, uh, um, ICAC, ICAC stuff. So internet crimes against children, and that's, uh, that's cyber the, exploitation, child porn. Oh, um, that's the tough. I mean, you've, uh, you've seen some stuff. That yeah, I'm guessing. yeah. And, and surprisingly stuff that from people that you probably never thought. No. Yeah. That, that's just it is it's, and, and it's, you know, it, 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 that, that in and of itself is a completely different, uh, animal, um, to try and work through and, and, uh, it causes some uh, real challenges for I think everybody that uh, is involved in it. Well, do you? I mean, do you think that you start to look for the worst in people right then? Like that changes your view on how you view people after you've seen what people are capable of. Maybe. Uh, yeah, for like as a as a direct representation of that, it I found myself in, at a point to where I couldn't go to the shopping mall with my kids or go to target or any of those things that are just normal because I would see a dad or a male interacting with some young kids. And my first, uh, instinct was to, you know, he's, he's, he's probably touching them or yeah. is he filming them in the bathroom? Um, is he teaching them how to do sex acts on one another and stuff like that? And these are, these are just regular schmoes that are out with their kids, you know, grabbing groceries or buying jeans or something. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, in order to not have those, um, reactions, it was more like, okay, go hide. Don't go to the store. Don't do those things. And, you know, detach yourself from, from the public because every time you see, see a family, you're seeing what you're looking at is you're viewing that, that dad. And you know, even sometimes the mom is, Hey, these are people that are perping on, on these kids. Well, I mean, it you makes know? sense if you're, if you're seeing it every day and especially from people you never thought would have, mm -hmm. how, how can you not yeah. go? I mean, that's the difficulties of the job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and having no tools to manage that, yeah. um, was definitely not healthy um, for me personally, but also for many of the people that I, uh, that were kind of my colleagues in that space. Well, nobody had the, the tools, right? Like that back then? No, think? I mean, there was, there was a program that existed for a while on, I believe it was a federal level where they would, uh, uh, if you were one of these task force affiliates with ICAC, they would basically have you get a, uh, some sort of a mental health evaluation done. Um, I want to say an annual on an annual basis that got cut out 
with federal budgetary things. I think it was because it was recession things like that, where it's like that was that was something that they cut out. So that that kind of went by the wayside. Um, you know, leaving it to people at their home agencies, departments, you know, and, and whatever that culture is to get it done, uh, obviously without any encouragement or mandates or any, and realistically any support to, to, to address any of those issues. So by and large, I would, I would say that I was, uh, in the normal where did nothing about it, just went to work with the concept of work hard, you know, stay busy yeah. and, and you'll be fine. So I did that. I uh, got promoted again um, uh, several years later and worked as a uh, promoted to a lieutenant. I was a watch commander over our patrol division. I, I wasn't in that one for particularly long um, because I was shifted back over to be uh, a lieutenant in our detective division, uh, essentially kind of running the day-to-day operations of our investigations group. Okay. So where were... What city were you working for? At this in Orem, Utah. Okay. Yeah. Orem. So that was that whole that whole series of, of changes and dynamics and stuff occurred over about a seventeen and a half year period. Um and I during that the last ten years of that, um I was dabbling in going to school, trying to chip away getting a degree. Um, which was something that was very, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of a, a, a selfish goal of my own to prove um, that I wasn't the dumb kid that I had grown up believing I was. Gotcha. So, and, I mean, was this to continue in law enforcement, or was no? It, uh... it was. It was. It was. Um, realistically, that goal was for me to be able to. I mean, what it did is it meant I was the first kid from my my family to ever graduate college, but it was also me being able to kind of thumb my nose at the people beginning in first grade that thought I was dumb and had a learning disability and, you know, just just some of that little stupid those little stupid things that uh, form in our young brains. Oh yeah, we, and, care, and I, we carry yeah, with it the rest of our lives. You know, That's and just, and struggling yeah. with with uh, different topics diff- uh, of curriculum in high school and stuff. You know, having to repeat. I think I had to take geometry three times before I passed it. Um, you know, just really feeling like, hey, I know I'm not. Uh, I know I'm not stupid, but I don't feel like I'm smart. And in fact, one of my one of the uh, reasons i mean i grew up thinking being in law enforcement would be an awesome job but i'm like i'm just not smart enough i can't be smart i can't do what those guys do um i kind of transitioning into adulthood i viewed myself as i was probably going to be in in the construction industry be it a trade of some sort um and college not really being an economic uh, path for me and my family and so forth so uh yeah i chipped away it took me about 10 years to to knock out my uh bachelor's degree which i said was like i said it was kind of for me to i guess prove to myself that i'm not that i'm smarter than i realistically really am to this day probably <laughs> and then uh what happened from there was you know i was in i was in this administrative level position um things were kind of tough i was experiencing a lot of burnout uh not motivated you know, having the ability, I'm 17 and a half years into my career, I can retire at 20. And um, next door in Linden, Utah, the opening for the, it's a, it's a much smaller community uh, with only 15 police officers, but it's a very uh, nice, friendly, clean, upscale community where the policing is... Uh, far less intensive and, and, and so forth. Um, just based on the community that it is their police chief job opened. I applied for it kind of on a whim. Thinking, Did you think you were going to get it? No, I didn't think I was going to get it. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't really even honestly, it was kind of a, what the hell yeah. 11th hour decision to I'll, I'll throw in for it. And, and, uh, I did fairly well, uh, in the uh, selection process to where I was actually offered that job. And so I left Orem and moved, you know, three miles down the street, uh, 
to work in, in Linden and had a wonderful experience there. I was there for about three and a half years. Um, and again, just a great, uh, experience for me, um, as far as, Hey, this is, this is a great, um, parachute ride to retirement, so to speak. Um, yeah. and you're 20, 20 years in at this point, I'm getting close to 20. So, yeah. so I'm moving my 20 would have been in 2020, May 1st of 2020 would have been my 20 year mark. And so I, you know, and I kind of made no secret of, Hey, this is kind of what my intent is as I moved through that experience in Linden. Yeah. And, um, but it, that, that time, that era is where a lot of my own, uh, issues really, really, really started to manifest. And a lot of struggles really, really started to manifest and my inability to handle things really started to, uh, become a big issue. So are we talking stress? Are we talking, you know, depression? No, it wasn't just, stress. I mean, you know. that, that's the irony of it is this was, this was far less stressful than running the detective division in the, in the bigger city next door. Yeah. Uh, you know, most, most of the crime and stuff in, in Linden is, is, you know, smaller misdemeanors and, and, and things like that. There's very Petty little, thefts. yeah, not yeah. a lot of high stress stuff going on and it's a very supportive community and stuff like that. So there's not, I'm not waging political wars or anything like that. The, the government of the city is very supportive of the police officers and, 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 and the finances are very positive and things like that. So there wasn't a lot that, that, and that was kind of where the, the, the change was for me is out now I'm in this nice new building. I have an administrative assistant. I've got a secretary out here. I've got these guys that are all doing well and working and, 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 and so forth. There's, I'm not fighting for budget. I'm not, I'm not doing any of these things. And that's where a lot of the, the previous 17 years of, of, uh, events, different events really started to catch up to me. And my, cause my, my coping mechanism or strategy had been, work harder the harder you work those things stay behind you so i was basically just racing running to stay ahead of my own um issues and you know for lack of a better term sitting down in that off i had nowhere to run anymore and so the you know playing the hair the tourist caught up yeah and and i couldn't get rid of it and it really and and it was uh kind of scary for me because I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that there were times I would be sitting in a, a meeting or something. And all of a sudden I would have to get out, get, excuse myself, get out of there. Um, sometimes mid meeting, even get in my vehicle and go for a drive. And I would just sob. And it's like, I don't even know why I don't know what's wrong. I don't know who I can talk to. Uh, you know, all I know is it's like, I'm burning through a roll of toilet paper out in my car. Um, trying to figure out what's going on. But then after, you know, I could purge like that and then I could usually go back and be okay. Yeah. You were, you were um, able to get those emotions out then, then yeah. hide them right when you go back. Yeah. In, and not, know? and, and, but still be puzzled with, well, what was yeah. that? Why am yeah. I doing, why am I having these outbursts of sadness and, and things like that? And, uh, things got, and I started experiencing, um, that triggered a lot of things in, in my marriage. And so that started to, uh, take a turn and just kind of everything felt like there, I didn't feel like there was any solid ground. I couldn't find any solid ground to stand on anywhere. Um, I didn't feel, if you will, safe at work. I didn't feel safe at home. I didn't feel safe to feel anything, but I was feeling all of this stuff. Yeah. And you're not talking from like the physical sense. You're talking from the emotional sense, right? I mean, I'm fine. I'm, I was healthy as a horse. I was, you know, I, I I was in some of the best shape I've ever been in in my life. Frankly. Um, I was cycling. I was, I had just done a couple of half marathons. I was, you know, I was in the gym every day. I was, I was doing the stuff to take care of my body. Um, but at the same time, there was just that weight and, and everything like that of, of whatever, and not knowing how to handle it. Um, I, uh, I, I knew I couldn't continue on the way I was going. And, and then I start having the questions, well, do I even want to continue on? What do I even want to do? What do I want to be? Do I want to be around? Do I want to, you know, and to where the, the, the fantasy, if you will, 
was I just want to disappear. Yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and eventually I reached out to a person I had uh, in the mental health community, a psychologist who is a saint. She actually ran a part of the public health, mental health system in, in, in this area for a number of years and was an administrator for most of that time. So she wasn't, uh, uh, you know, day-to-day practicing clinician. Um, but when she retired, retired from that space, uh, she, as I recall, kind of decided, Hey, I, I kind of want to keep my foot in the game. Um, and she had like one or two days a week that she, she would see patients. Mm-hmm. I reached out to her. Um, well, I did the, I did the classic thing. I think a lot of us can relate to where it's like, I, I called, made an appointment, called back and canceled it. Then I called again, made an appointment, called back and canceled it. And it was the third one that I actually got there. And I went in and I sat down in her, you know, on the couch. She's sitting the in her chair. The famous couch yeah, of every therapist. You know? yeah. yeah, I kind of thought it was going to be one of those, yeah. uh, whatever, the loungers or whatever. Yeah, but no, it was just regular old leather she couch. She made you, you lay know? down. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but I sat down and... You know, door closed. It's just she and I, and I don't even know that we said anything. And I just began to once again sob. And it was for damn near the entire hour uh, and no talking. Uh, And then, you know, towards the end, I guess I must have rallied enough to be able to be like, hey, you know. Let me put some words to what, whatever the hell that was as best I can type thing. And, and, and really I went to her like, Hey, I don't, I'm, I'm screwed up. How do I, who should I see? What do I do type thing? And she, she's like, I'll, I'll work with you. Yeah. And, uh, that began a process of about a year and a half of, uh, almost every week, um, spending an hour with her and, deconstructing if you will um you know there are some things from from the childhood there are some issues there but uh from a trauma sense um what she taught me was that hey when you experience a traumatic event and you don't handle it correctly uh, and you just push to compartmentalize it so to speak uh, encapsulate it, entomb it, whatever, and move on and just keep running, so to speak. Those, those encapsulations don't go away. And in fact, they accumulate until it really becomes a, it's almost like they're bricks in a wall that keep building this wall higher and higher. And where peace and wellness might be is the, on the other side of that wall, but you've got all these trauma blocks that are stacked up that are now dividing you from, from that, peace and, 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 and wellness in your life. And so over the course of, like I said, about a year and a half, we deconstructed, you know, 17 years of, of work-related traumas going backwards to uh, what was uh, from a professional and personal combined catalyst, catalyst for all of this was in uh, August of 2001, my older brother, who's 15 months older than me, uh, and was also a police officer. He was a year ahead of me, so to speak. I, he was my mentor. I followed in his footsteps. Uh, he was shot and killed on a traffic stop here in Utah. And um, at 26 years old, as, as a dad of a seventh month, seven month year old, seven month old son. And um, dealing with that, you know, at that time, my wife was pregnant with our twin daughters and we had just barely purchased our first you know, crappy house that needed to be renovated and, 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 and all of this stuff. And anyway, that, that event was clearly a big deal. And it was obviously very traumatic for me, but there was nothing done with that. Yeah. Um, I was, again, that, I mean, that, that's probably when I really came out of that, 
the block, so to speak, to be on this, hey, I'm going to be on this eternal sprint to stay ahead of my, my issues because, you know, 20 years ago, um, stoicism ruled the day and, you know, there was no, from my department, um, the contact I got from my chief of police, the only contact I got from my chief of police at the time was a voicemail, voice message on my landline phone at my, at my place. Like, um, Hey, how are you okay? Is yeah, he at work on Monday? Sorry, yeah. whatever, you know, he didn't, it wasn't coming up to the hospital when, you know, it wasn't coming over to my home. And, and, and I had, I had some supervisors that did do that, but as, as an, you know, from, from the top kind of a thing, um, and, and there wasn't any, there, there was never any of that. And, and I was well aware of the fact that mental health and, and, and quoting a, a supervisor that was in my department at that time, she, I, I met with her not too long ago and was chatting about just visiting and, and talking about wellness things and everything like that. And, you know, and she, she remembered the direct quote from, from this chief of police at that time of, you know, if, if you need that kind of help, this isn't the right kind of career path for you. Yeah. And, and that was very much the culture and outlook. So it's like, I get getting professional help for that never even crossed my mind because that was uh taboo for lack of a better, it wasn't an option. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. Um, we're, we buck up and, and so, you know, and, and with everything and, and, I mean, I took the, I, I was given the three days off that somebody gets for bereavement if a close family member dies and I was back to work Shit. and it, things were incredibly raw. They were either incredibly raw or numb at best. And about a week and a half after my brother's death, I was working and I was backing some other officers on a traffic stop. They were getting some kids out of a car for, for drugs, what have you, I don't recall. And one, you know, 20 year old, something like that kid that got out of the car on the passenger side, you know, and I'm kind of attending to him, so to speak, you know, he sees my name plate, my name and, and is like, Hey, are you, are you related to that Adams that was killed over in Lehigh? And I was like, yeah, he's my brother. And he then starts to basically passively aggressively talk shit about my brother. And I came completely unhinged. Yeah. Um, I probably would have killed him if I could have, if the officers that were with me, my coworkers would not have immediately saw, uh, me pop like and look intervene. in your eyes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was, it was coming out of my mouth, you know, with both barrels and they, they basically took me and pulled me back and stuck me in a police car and drove me to the police department, you know, right in the middle of why we're trying to do, you know, arrest some people, whatever, you know, now they're dealing with basically they've got to secure their coworker and put him yeah. on ice so that he doesn't, you know, do something horrendous. And they yeah. sat, they went and put me in the, in the, uh, I mean, squad room. Were you known as a hothead when young, when you were in no younger days? No, no. Like I've, I, I, I struggle sometimes with anger and, and, yeah, and, and part do. of my, and I'm, I'm, I can, I can, my, my inner circle at work and stuff, they, they, they know how to handle it better than say other people at work where, you know, they see, they hear a situation come up in a meeting or whatever, and they know that it's something where I'm probably going to say something I shouldn't, or I'm going to snap a little bit or whatever. Yeah. And they'll usually redirect it real quick. I've got, I've got great, uh, people that I work with day to day that, that have great intervention strategies to prevent me from owing somebody a big old apology. We, we call them your PR team. Yeah. Is that what, yeah. Is that what yeah, we're It's basically call like, yeah. well, let me take this one. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but anyways, they, they took me back to the police department, put me in a, a room, squad room to, and they're just like, Hey, just chill for a while, man. And I'm sitting there like, Oh shit. What did I do? You know, am I going to get fired? Am I going to like, that was bad. Um, you know, and I'm not sure how long I was sitting there. Not a terrible long time. Uh, my captain. So the guy that's in charge of the whole patrol division, he comes and sits down and he's like, 
there was not a how are you doing or I'm sorry that happened or anything like that. He told me, he's like, if that ever happens again, you're fired. Wow. Um, and so from that very moment, unpacking everything, I now know that from that very moment, this this um, conscientious decision, whatever, subconscious decision, I should say, was, hey, Josh, you can't feel anymore. Feeling is bad. Yeah. Um, and, and that is exactly the way I worked very successfully, but very unhealthily for the next, you know, whatever. 13, 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. Know, yeah. Of don't. So every time, you know, don't. I'm like, I can't deal with this one and even everything else. So, you know. Uh, gruesome murder scenes, uh, you know, baby deaths, child porn, um, any number of things that are tough situations. Just don't, don't, don't acknowledge, don't, don't take the time to allow how you feel to even like come into your conscience. Don't, yeah. don't feel, just don't feel. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, more like turn up the PSI. Let's make let's make things more uh, the harder the better. Versus, hey, yeah. And uh, so so this carried all the way over until you know you're a chief of police. You're having you know. Did, did anyone else know about any of these feelings you were having? No, no, yeah. I. Uh, um. No, I mean, nobody did. And and I felt very much, I felt the need to protect that because I still had this, if I ever do this again, I can't feel I had this, now that I look about it, this silly block, but it was ingrained in me. Yeah. You can't talk to anybody about any of this stuff. And, you know, we didn't, culturally, nobody really talked about how they, they felt on stuff like that. And, and more often than not, if there's any dis after action discussion about any particular event, it's more with the uh, dark humor yeah. than, than with, uh, hey, that was a bad one. And how are you guys, you know, and how can we, you know, after action, you know, or, or deconstructed in any way. None of that, none of that was, was even in the game, even really discussed about. Like every once in a while you'd have a critical incident debrief like if something if a coworker was killed or something like that but other than that it's like you know the day-to-day -day whatever scenes and stuff weren't or apparently weren't important enough. yeah yeah um, were dismissed as just part of the job and we uh so so yeah it it was it was very much a break and and it was secretive uh at first um like i felt the need to be very secret about what i was doing but not too far into my visits, I decided after one of them that I wasn't going to keep it a secret anymore. Um, my, my wife at the time, I'm divorced now, but my wife knew I was going. Um, but I let my kids know I was going. And then I let my coworkers know I was going. And it was kind of a fun joke that I spearheaded probably more than anybody of, you know, Hey, every Wednesday afternoon, afternoon at four, the chief's going to get the head, the air pressure checked in his head yeah. kind of a thing. And, you know, I didn't make that's everybody knew that was very much part of my week every week. And the, the amazing thing that came from that though, is in a department of 15 individuals, myself being one of them as, as police officers, Within the first couple of months of being open about it, uh, seven of those other guys, so 50% of, of everybody else that's a police officer over there, uh, had a talk with me about wellness issues and, hey, I think maybe I could benefit from something like that or... You know, I'm, I've been dealing with something for years and, and being somebody who's you know, in fairly intensive therapy myself at the time and not knowing a whole lot of answers, you know, it's like, okay, 
it started charging me into, okay, I want to understand more about all of this for myself, but also the fact that it's like, Hey, you know, I'm responsible for these guys too. You know, um, yeah, I'm accountable for their official actions and stuff like that. But also I feel I'm, I'm feeling this strong sense of accountability for their wellness and what are they taking home to their families and what, uh, you know, things like that. And so we started, we kind of, we created our own little, uh, wellness program, if you will. Well, I told them all, you know, I'm like, if you need to talk to somebody, let me know. Uh, and I will work out a thing so that that therapist can bill me and we'll kind of keep an alpha numeric code, if you will, of who you are on those invoices so that I'm approving these invoices to be paid, but you know, accounts payable over at city hall and stuff like that. There's no, a name attached to any of these, you know, when I told my city manager, I said, I'm do this is something I'm doing. It wasn't and a question. No. Yeah. yeah and, and you know, and it was, we were kind of doing this pay as you go. So, you know, I'm taking a little money from here or there or whatever to, to pay for these things. And he was generally pretty supportive of it. Um, and it, it actually evolved into one where it's like, no, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have, everybody's going to have uh, two visits a year. And so, so that is Linden still, or this yeah, is we're now still in Linden. We're still in Linden. We're okay. still in Linden. I'm yeah. still planning on retiring in a few months. Yeah. Um, Leave your mark per yeah. se, you know, you know and I'm like, Hey, you know, and uh, so that's, that's early 2020. Um, and as COVID now is breaking out, I'm, I'm, I'm separated in the process of divorcing, uh, the, 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 the situation in Minnesota, everything like that, where, you know, now our country is very hyper aware of policing and, um, you know, defunding and all this kind of stuff. And then at that same time, um, the, the, the chief of police in my original agency in Orem, uh, retired. And then, so I've got friends and a associates from my career that are like hey come come up put in for this one and in my mind it's like uh i'm retiring yeah um but the the experience of being able to restore myself to a better person and still be working on that right now but that change from you know being leaving there being brought to a much better environment and then crashing because of what was there, you know, that same sense of, Hey, I want to, I want to help over there too. Yeah. Um, you know, and I still, I'll be honest with you every day. I quite, it's like, what was I thinking? Of course. Um, uh, yeah, of course. You well, know? And so I did, I applied, I yeah. went through the selection process. I got uh, appointed as the chief of police over there. So I went from having, uh, you know, 15 people working for me to having, uh, over a hundred, uh, sworn and then, you know, a dispatch center and records and evidence. And I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of 160 people now. And, um, but even over there, you've been able to make your mark in, in the wellness scene. It seems like, yeah, the, the, you know. the chief that was in front of me was very pro, uh, these types of things too. But it was still very much, and as it is today, I mean, it's still evolving. There's still, you know, people that are in, uh, you know, administrative level positions like this, executive positions. They're like, what do we do? What's the right answer? Um, and how do we qualify on on budgets and, and everything? Like that? How, do we, how do we help our people? And I have these discussions all the time with other chiefs of police and sheriffs and, and, and stakeholders. Like, what do we do? And... You know, how do we win the, 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 the financing war and stuff like that to, to, to pay for all of these things. And so that's, that's brought together for me a whole lot of new desire to help. You know, I, I think I'm doing a, a, a decent, hopefully better than adequate job of operationally running our police department and stuff. But there are, there's things like that where it's like, we can, we can make policing if, if, if our society, which is demanding more of our policing wants, uh, that, and, and, and if they have a real realistic expectation, or if we have a all together, have a real realistic expectation that we can do this, we need to improve our people. We need to bring in 
the best we can and then we have to keep them and part of keeping them just like a vehicle or anything else is is good maintenance if you maintain your car if you do a great job of maintaining your car the odds are that car is going to operate very well long into the future and not have catastrophic breakdowns on the side of highways and 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 stuff like that because we're doing the we're doing the work we're doing the maintenance we're 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 keeping it as optimal as it can be and what we have not done as an industry is give two shits about that optimal wellness thing of our officers uh until now all of a sudden we're dealing with it um perhaps at a bit of a crisis point where uh, we now have people leaving as quick as they can. Um, we have people that are making mistakes in their lives that cost them their ability to work in this industry. And we have people that are coming in, getting a taste for it and being like, this is too hard or yeah. I don't want, I can't see myself doing this for 25 years and surviving and being okay. And then obviously the the biggest group are people that look at it like I wouldn't touch that kind of work with a ten foot pole, you know. When 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 our society's being presented with, hey, there's a lot of great jobs where a person can wake up at nine o'clock, go to Starbucks, get a latte, you know, come back home and flip open the lid to their their yeah. laptop and and have an effective work day wouldn't, there. Wouldn't that be the dream? Yeah. Why the <laughs> hell? Why you know? And and what we're selling people is, hey. You know, we're, we're, we have a location you have to come to. We have a schedule you're going to have to follow. We have a uniform you're going to have to wear. And we have uh, a ex- very, very high level of scrutiny and performance expectations um, and unknowns and, and hazards physically and emotionally and stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of, you know, how do you, how do you sell that, you yeah, know, it's, um, it's to not. people? And, and that, that's where, you know, by and large, nearly every, any police department in this country probably has unfilled vacancies because they don't have, uh, either they don't have qualified candidates or they don't even have candidates. Yeah. Well, you know? I think, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but majority of the time, I, I think when people start, it's because they want to help people. You Absolutely. Know, you know, I still, I still firmly believe that that's how they feel when they come in but then you know after time they 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 find out it's just different than that it's yeah. it's just not that expect it's not all about helping people it's 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 a tough job you know mentally physically spiritually all all of those things and so you know so correct me if i'm wrong but now what you've moved into in orem is for for wellness which has been I think the first initiative in the state to do this is you have brought on, uh, you know, an EAP like type company and mandated two visits a year, uh, as well. Right. Is that, is that generally correct? Yeah. Yeah. So myself and my, uh, the, my counterpart at the fire department, the fire chief is very like-minded in that way. And we both felt, and he got hired just a few months before me. So we're both kind of a new, uh, administrative, group in public safety as a whole. Um, we felt like this was something that we had to, uh, tackle and we needed to. And, and so, you know, our, our city had a traditional EAP where it's like, Hey, there's, here's a, here's a, a a counseling service down the street here and six visits a year, six visits a year. Um, and I actually went to one of those, um, I don't know, 10 years ago when I first, uh, you know, started to have a few issues, um, that were still very, for me, very manageable at the time. But I remember talking to this, uh, therapist woman who was probably in her early twenties. I don't even think she was married or a mother or, or anything like that. She had been, you know, she'd been through the, the, the school and, and had the accreditation and everything like that. Yeah. But I'm telling her a, what I thought was a fairly routine uh, anecdotal story from work. And I can see the trauma that it yeah. is inducing into her. Her eyes get and wide. It's like, and, yeah. And yeah. it's like, holy shit, I'm sitting here trying to help this. I'm trying to, I'm sitting here trying to get help and I'm 
messing her up. Yeah. You know what? Now she's got to go to a therapist because she talked to me. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so again, that kind of, and, and finding out, talking to other people that, yeah, kind of the same thing where it's like, number one, they don't have it. They're not really giving me any tools to work with other than, you know, you want to take some Xanax or something. And, yeah. and um, who doesn't? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, but it's like, I, I think I, and, and one of the, I think one of the challenges that we have in this uh, industry too is, is part of our compulsion, if you will, is to be a problem solver and medication can be part of that solution. But when it's just this bandaid to cover up the problem, you know, where it's like, yeah, do, are there people that need to take certain medications? I take certain medications, you know, as, as part of my overall strategy. Mm-hmm. But if it's, Hey, you know, one, two visits into this EAP and they're recommending you for, 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 for a medication, it's like, that's a bandaid approach to a yeah. deeper problem. And as, as, as cops, particularly where we're kind of, you know, we look at everything through multiple lenses and stuff like that, you know, people were calling bullshit on it and with good cause and, and, and frankly being like, well, I can just, I can go drink a couple of shots and uh and get the same effect so why the hell am i gonna deal with medication and side effects and stuff like that where i can just get drunk every night and be fine yeah Yeah. no totally and uh so yeah we had that so the first thing we did is we got rid of that and we were able to take to our city government government hey we need better we need and and so what we did is we uh hunted down um and had presentations so forth from uh multiple different uh companies that were in the wellness industry um and we went with uh one called stepstone that is uh all of their clinicians are uh meet first responder specific industry standards um most of them are actually retired or former uh, military or fire or police. Uh, the fellow I've talked to, you know, retired cop out of Phoenix lives in Arizona. It's all telehealth, um, which isn't always the best, but it's always accessible and they can attend to us. It's better than, you know, Hey, I need to talk to somebody and you're calling an office and they can get you in in a couple of weeks. You know, my people generally speaking, aren't waiting even 24 hours usually before they're having a conversation with their person. Um, and, and they get to select the people based on their bios and stuff like that. And, 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 and so, yeah, part, what our package deal is, is us mandating that all of our people have to do that twice a year. Uh, that's a wellness, not a fit for duty or anything like that, but Hey, they're going to check in on our time and our dime with a clinician. Yeah. And even if it's that they just sit there and stare at each other through their webcams, I don't care. They're doing it. Yeah. Um, because I believe that, that, uh, if we coerce, compel, whatever word you want to use them to take that first step, the uptake is going to be much more significant than just telling people, Hey, we've got this service. And if something's wrong with you, go get help. Instead, it's talk to somebody about what's happening with you and find out whether or not you need more or less. So the package is for them, for their significant others, for their children. It's, uh, it does have some limitations, but we haven't even run into, you know, in our usage thus far, which has been about a year now, we haven't even come close to hitting any of those issues. And there's been several very positive outcomes with that where, you know, and, and, and they very carefully craft this thing so that I am, completely walled off from any information whatsoever this is professional help. yeah and that's the best part about it in my opinion Mm -hmm. is that these people are getting the help without you know the people upstairs knowledge well i mean they pay for it but there's they're not you know yeah you don't need to know you don't need to know a couple of positive examples that that we've experienced just in this short time is there's been twice where you know the 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 gal that runs our that's our affiliate, my point of contact, if you will. Mm-hmm. She's called, you know, hey, how you doing? How are things going? Great. She's like, listen, one of your officers that's either a male or a female uh, is in their conversations with their clinician has disclosed certain 
concerns and stuff that have led this clinician to believe that this person needs some specific specialized care along the lines of an IOP um, program. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, IOP isn't included, enumerated within our contract and stuff. So she's like, so if you are, if you will approve it, we will begin that process right now with that person so that we're potentially this interdictive strategy prevents this person where their next step is probably that they would need to be uh, in an inpatient recovery treatment uh, program. And, and it's realistically, it's pennies on the dollar compared to what it does cost for the, for the more advanced levels of care. So I said, yes, there it is. I got a bill. Yeah. I paid it and somebody went to IOP. And somebody stayed on. And I, yeah, they're and, you know, still there. They never missed it. They never missed. I mean, yeah. the, the, with the telehealth piece and stuff like that, I mean, we've literally got people, this person was probably perhaps even on duty. Yeah. It goes and sits out in their squad car if they're a patrol officer and parked in the shade somewhere and had a session. Yeah. It's and great. And I don't know. Yeah. Good. And I don't get to know. And there's nothing where, uh, I would know anything other than, okay, I'm trusting them to tell me if, if there's more or less of anything going on. And, 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 and so it's, we've had that happen twice now with, with, uh, in the, in the IOP specific space of getting that help. So, you know, it's still in its infancy. This is still a huge, uh, cultural, you know, shift to focusing on these things, but, you know, we're, we're, we're really trying to up, you know, not just the, Hey, wellness and clinicians and stuff like that, but Hey, physical, yeah, please, please exercise, please work out. Here's yeah. how much time we can allocate you of your own work week to work out. Here's the facilities we can provide you here is, um, we have a couple of rooms now where when, when people are, are tired, they are welcome to take a 30 minute meditative nap, whatever you want to call it, every shift. Um, the only, and you know, those things are being very, they're slow to embrace those things because there's kind of this cultural, uh, faux pas about, Oh, I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. You know, what kind of a wuss takes a nap on duty? And you know, it's like, well, bless the firefighters hearts, but they do it every day. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. So why, why can't you, why can't you crash for, for a few minutes or at least just sit in a dark space and, no radio, no phone, and and meditate, relax, download, mm. and so that's that things like that. Um, so you you brushed briefly on the the inpatient portion, uh, and so for those of you who don't know, listening, um, I do work for Shatzo uh, Recovery, one of six FOP approved facilities in the country. And so you've also been involved in doing wellness for officers at Chateau from across the country. Yes. And so, I mean, do you feel like the similar issues that you're seeing with your officers are the same that, you know, people nationally are, oh, yeah. are doing? Yeah. Vir- virtually everybody I, I interact with uh, in, in groups and on an individual basis, whatever up there from all over the country, um, they, they, you know, they're, they're curious and, and we talk about their, their department, their culture, their situation. And then they ask questions about mine and they're, um, some of them are downright pissed off that it's like, well, why, why the hell would mine not, you know, why didn't anybody think of this before and stuff like that? And, yeah. or they're and, the first one yeah, from why, their department are, to seek yeah. treatment. And, yeah. th- and that's, we use the metaphor very frequently is, Hey, you're the first one to run through the wall. Yeah. You're going to be the one that got bloody. Yeah. You know, but now you created a hole in the wall for other people to go through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and yeah, we see that, um, with a fair amount of frequency of, you know, they, they have, uh, a peer who's, uh, in recovery and succeeding mm-hmm. in recovery. And they came because they saw, Hey, this is actually, I can do this. Yeah. And, 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 you know, take these restorative measures and still, you know, continue on in my life. Some people it's been interesting. I mean, there's been a number of people where they've been up there and they've, they're the people that, 
you know, the, the eligibility to retire has come and gone. They're still in the industry and going through, you know, that process, they've been like, you know, there were, it's now's a good time to, as part of my recovery to kind of set my identity as a firefighter, my identity as a paramedic, my identity as a police officer aside and go do something that I can, that I have an actual passion for and stuff like that. So, so, you know, when you talk about that whole recovery restoration thing, it's, it's a lot of different light bulbs that are getting turned back on in, in people's minds to a whole new world of living and, and, and living well. And, and where, you know, in, in my space right now and with the people that work for me, it's like, we're trying not to burn those light bulbs out. Yeah. You know, let's, let's let those light bulbs burn as long and, and as bright as they can. And if we need to swap out maintenance wise, swap out light bulbs, fine. But it's these people where I feel like they have this candelabra of, and, and, and they were down to the last bulb in a chandelier, you know, where it's like, Hey, we could have been swapping out one bulb at a time. And this would have always been a full operational you know, chandelier yeah. versus, hey, now that all the bulbs are burned out, let's change them. Yeah. Well, you've you've got great points. I think you've been pretty instrumental in, at least in Utah, I think, well, I mean, especially with the, the clients that you treat at Chateau, I mean, nationally now, you've you've been instrumental in, in people's wellness and officers wellness you know every every facet of first responders i think uh i think that's all the time that we have for today um but you know this has been i mean it's been great i i I think the information in this is as really valuable for for those that you know whether it's a peer support person listening or or just you know uh on duty officer sitting waiting for something to happen I, i think this this can be instrumental in, in helping people realize that it's it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to, to seek help and things are changing slowly. Uh, I think that we'll continue in this podcast to you know cover different topics in the first responder world, whether it's you know anything from from wellness to the struggle of getting you know new officers on duty, whatever it may be. Um, but we're we're here to to try and educate those who just don't know yet. So chief, thank you very much for, for taking your time. Uh, we'll hope to get you on here every episode and, you know, uh, or, or interview those from out of state, whatever it may be. Uh, but really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this segment of no one fights alone. No one fights alone is sponsored by, Chateau Recovery and First Responder Trauma Counselors. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others.
For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.